What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Scream 6. You got a problem here, guy? the secret. There's a darkness inside of me. It followed me here. And it's gonna keep coming for us. We share a certain history. This isn't like any other ghost face. What is this place? A shrine. We've got to lure him in. We execute him. Hello. Let's play a game. You know you're like the tenth guy to try this, right? It never works out for the dipshit in the mask. Maybe. But there's never been one like me, Gail. <laughs> I'm something... different. That's why I'm gonna shoot you in the head. You want me. So let's finish this. Guys? Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Scream 6 and the story is as follows. Four survivors of the Ghostface murders leave Woodsboro behind for a fresh start in New York City. However, they soon find themselves in a fight for their lives when a new killer embarks on a bloody rampage. The film is starring Melissa Barrera, Jenna Ortega, Jasmine Savoy Brown, Mason Gooding, Courtney Cox, Hayden Panettiere, Dermot Mul- Mulroney, Jack Champion, Liana Librato, Josh Segarra, Tony Revolori, Henry Cizerni, Devin Nakoda and Samara Weaving. It is directed by Matt Bettinelli, Open, and Tyler Gillette, and it is written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. 
Here to join me today for this review, I have Amy Smith. Hi, everyone. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And returning as a guest here on the podcast, former MVP contributor. He is now the host and runner of the Scream with Ryan C. Showers podcast. Welcome back to the show, Ryan C. Showers, everybody. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to reunite with Matt and Josh and to meet Amy. So thank you so much for inviting me. I'm I, I'm on vacation, but I was like, I have to do that. I have to make time for Matt. I actually planned my podcast recording to be after this. I was like, you know, got to be here for this. So thank you. I, I did let Ryan know way in advance that it was going to be this date. And yes, he had to be here for it because I can't imagine talking about a Scream film without Ryan. I just can't imagine it. And like the thing is, like I know I'm like I'm operating at such like a deeper, like you know, in the weeds kind of level with Scream uh, than most people are. So you know, I I appreciate being like I I appreciate being asked, and I appreciate coming back. And like you know, I still listen to the show, and you know, I I really do love love you, Matt, and I love our our friendship that we have. And um, so I'm happy to be here. The Courtney Cox of guest contributors here on the podcast with us. Uh, But there's a lot to talk about with this one. New setting, new rules, New York City. I am going to say up front that we are going to talk about spoilers throughout this review. We're not going to have a spoiler section. So feel free to say whatever you guys want in your opening thoughts and beyond all throughout this review. Ryan, you are the guest here, so I will kick it over to you first. General thoughts, you know how the show runs. What did you think of Scream VI? I'm sorry, Scream 6. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I really enjoyed it. I think that like there are high like there are very high highs in this movie and very low lows. Um I didn't like I didn't love the opening. I think it's one of the weaker openings in the franchise, and I think the finale is really flawed. And the thing about Scream, and if you've listened to my show, Scream with Ryan C. Showers, you know, like, the finales of these movies mean everything to me. That's where, like, that's where the meat really is. That's where, you know, the arc of the movie happens. It's usually the best kind of interactions and, like, the killer's motive. It often ties in thematically. Like, that's what I love to see. And I think that I prefer most of the finales to the openings, even if Drew Barrymore set the standard of amazing Scream openings. That's what, you know. But I think that, like, the fact that, like, Scream 6 has a flawed finale and I didn't personally care for the opening. I thought it was kind of flat. I thought both of the characters were flat in the opening, uh, which it breaks my heart because I would have given Samara Weaving an Oscar for Ready or Not. Um, it, it, I don't know. But the, the movie in between, I really loved. I loved the plot of the masks being dropped at the different crime scenes and the countdown to the Billy Loomis mask. And I loved having Kirby back. I loved um, Gail Weathers, even if she did feel different. She felt like the Gail of Scream 1, not the Gail who has progressed from Scream 2 through 5. Um, but I think the core four is, uh, did, did a great job um, continuing the franchise. And I think uh, Melissa Barrera in particular has proven her haters wrong uh, here. I think she did. Uh, I think she's the MVP of this film. So um, overall, I, I did enjoy it. I am positive. But uh, it is lower in my ranking than it is. So it's a, it's well below the original trilogy. I don't think anything Radio Silence will ever do will top the original trilogy for me. Um, but I do prefer the fifth movie to this, which is uh, it was it was hard to to make that decision because Scream Five is such a consistent movie, whereas Scream Six is up and down. But that's those are my thoughts. So okay, we just had the most 
geekiest of geek Scream fans give his take on Scream 6, <laughs> does that mean that for the rest of us, we are going to be lower in our opinion of this film? Let's find out, starting with Amy Smith. Amy, what did you think of Scream 6? I think I might be a little higher, to be honest. I definitely <gasps> share the same issues with the final act. I think it's the weakest act, I think. It kind of goes beyond what I can believe would actually happen. I think it's a little bit too absurd. Um, I actually really like the opening, but the meat of the bones is in the centre, and I think the thing that really holds it together is Sam Carpenter and Melissa Barrera, as you said. She is fantastic. I think it could have been really easy for the screenplay to sort of capitalise off Jenna Ortega's fame, but it doesn't, and I'm kind of glad they're not making her the central character and we're keeping it with Sam. I love the core four. I don't think they'll top the original three for me, but I think they've really solidified themselves as the leaders of this new franchise to a point where they accept that they don't need to go back to the original three. I found the way that they wrote that they wrote out Sydney's character a little cheap, but I don't know what else they could have done, to be honest. Um, I had an absolute blast, and I can honestly say this is one series in which I've liked every single film, which is not the same for a lot of franchises. So, yeah, thumbs up for me. So, yeah, this has been kind of a common criticism, and there was no really great way for them to handle Nev Campbell's exit, especially since it was such a public thing, and it wasn't done in terms of what the creative process was. Um, I don't think that they could have done anything to satisfy. Uh, you know, I do think, I'm glad that it came from Gail, that we got this news about Sydney from Gail, um, but I almost feel like what that specific line of dialogue that Gail says, she says something like, Sydney took the kids, she sends her love, um, but... Sydney deserves her happy ending. I felt like that was almost, I was shocked that that line was in there because I feel like that shuts down the possibility that Nev Campbell will come back or Sydney will come back in this new series or this era of Scream. Maybe in 10 years or so when her kids are grown, but I feel like they shut, they kind of really shut the door on Sydney Prescott with that line. I kind of felt the same way too. In fact, I actually thought it was a cheesy line to explain her absence because Heading into this film, even though I knew what had gone on behind the scenes regarding Nev Campbell's uh, absence in this film, there was still a part of me that thought, you know what, the last film was very Dewey-centric, and he got his send-off by getting killed by Ghostface. Gail is the only person in this movie. Maybe she'll get killed. Who knows? Uh, turns out she doesn't. But I was thinking, oh, you know, that leaves the door open then for Nev Campbell to come back for the next one. And... I got to agree with Amy, though, a little bit here, where I finally got the sense after the last film, which really served as a generational transitional film, this was the movie that really solidified that the new cast does not need the original trio. They can really hold this franchise on their own at this point. I mean, Ryan, just I understand maybe for selfish reasons and just wanting to see the old faves again. You know, I, I can understand, but do you agree that they have done a good job of solidifying this new cast? Oh, absolutely. The, the new cast is awesome. I think the care, and this is the thing that I'm really proud of Guy and Jamie, the writers, for doing is de it, it, developing the characters, specifically Sam and Tara, so thoroughly because that's what we did with Sydney and Gale and Dewey in, in the over the first four films. They were developed the heck out of. There, there was a lot of character centric moments, and they did that, and it's paid off because now we love them. And even uh, the twins are have a, a, to a lesser degree, but we they're very charming and charismatic. So I'm I'm happy with them. However, I. 
I do think it's important. And I think that I think Gail will stick around. Um, I think it's important for her to stick around. I think that if they make a seven, uh, I think, and and it's the end of this new trilogy. I think seven will be Courtney's last film. I don't think she's going to want to play Gail Weathers, you know, in a, a reboot in 10 years. So I think it's really important to stick the landing with her in the next film. But I think it's good that Sydney wasn't in this movie. There's no, I don't think Sydney could have been in this movie in, in a good way. I think if Nev would have been in it, it would have been a very small role and it would have felt clustered. And the movie, is already tight and like pretty lean right now. I don't think I don't see how she could have fit in here. So they made the right choice and it worked really well. Even even though Courtney Cox is in this and she has an amazing set piece, probably the best scene in the movie. Like she never feels like she's carrying the load like she did in any of the first five mo- movies. I felt like really this was Melissa and Jenna really doing the heavy lifting. Okay, let's hear Josh Parham's opening thoughts. Josh, what did you think of Scream Sex? So I think. Overall, when it comes to this movie, I did like it. And that sort of have that sort of has been my feeling with pretty much all the screen movies. Like I have enjoyed this franchise a lot, but I don't count myself a super fan. I, I'll be honest about that. I like the movies. I just they're not like at the top of the list for me in terms of what I like most in kind of horror franchises. And the first like half of this movie I actually thought was some of the best stuff in the franchise, to be honest. I really like this new group of characters and I liked how we were really focused in on their dynamic and it felt like we were getting more to appreciate about the relationships between them. And yeah, I think this group of actors playing them is also very great. I think they're so endearing in their portrayals and I was really getting invested in their storyline. And I do think that as the movie goes on, though, it starts to get a little bit a little bit more like shaggy in the in the narrative. And it kind of feels like it's not as focused anymore. And the wheels start to go off for me a bit. I do think that the finale is very ridiculous and not really in a good way. Like there's a good way to be ridiculous in your finale. Um, And Scream has done that before. I didn't really feel like it was necessarily earned with this one. Um, I'm sorry, but Gail feels very superfluous in this movie to me. Like, I agree with Ryan that that set piece is really well done, but what it took to get there, I found to be pretty forced, to be honest. And I didn't really feel like her character added much. And and it was also a point in the movie where I then felt like the story itself just really wasn't interested in this very tight narrative anymore. It, it just really started to become kind of wild and, and lost its shape and, and was escalating stakes in a way that felt very manufactured to me. And I didn't really feel like it ended as strongly as it began, but at the same time, I still had fun with it overall. And I think that the main group of characters are the biggest highlight for me and some good moments of tensions uh, throughout, especially in that first half. So not, a great movie I found and particularly was underwhelming as we got closer to the finale, but I still enjoyed the movie overall. And I would still say it is a good time, even if it sort of squandered some potential. I found it was building up in the first half. So much like Amy, but not to the extent of Ryan here. um, I am a fan of this franchise and I too have liked pretty much every movie in it uh, to varying degrees here. The same can be said of Scream 6, which I enjoyed for a large chunk of it, actually. Ryan, we'll dive into this in a little bit. I'm curious to know what you didn't like about the opening, because I really enjoyed it quite a bit. And then all throughout the movie, I thought the 
fresh location of New York City really opened this film up to new possibilities that they took uh, great advantage of. Uh, some of the kills were absolutely brutal. I found myself so invested in the core four that I even, to my surprise, found myself shouting at the screen during the movie at certain points and getting really emotionally invested in making sure that all four of them would make it out of here by the end. Uh, man, but then the third act comes around and the reveal happens and that's when I just kind of crashed and I crawled out of the wreckage at the end and said to myself, all right, dust yourself off. It was still a good movie. Everything's okay. But man, I, I just could not get on board with some of the stuff that they were doing in the third act, which we'll get into in a little bit here. So I've got some issues, but overall, for the most part, I really enjoyed the hell out of it. I've always enjoyed this franchise, though, so I do have maybe a bit of biasness uh, there, but I think that, as mentioned earlier, really focusing this time around on the core four, yes, Gail Weathers is back this time around, same with Kirby, which I also have thoughts on, um, but they this movie doesn't rely on them as heavily to carry the plot forward. It still is heavily focused on Sam Carpenter her relationship with her sister Tara and their relationship uh with the twins uh Mindy and Chad and i think all four of them do a really fantastic job of making these characters likable relatable to the point that like i said if you can get Matt Neglia screaming at your screen during the movie you're probably doing something right to elicit that kind of an emotional response <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So let's start off with that opening, because, Ryan, I, wa- I really want to know what you didn't like about this. I, 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 yeah, just just dive in, because no, no, there's no spoilers or anything like that. I, I'm sorry. There are spoilers. We're, we're, we're going full tilt here. So let it all out. All right. So the opening, like I again, I'm more hyper active about this stuff than you guys probably are. And I like the minutia of it. Like, so I'm probably seeing it in a more intense way. But like. So the scream openings, first of all, are really important for setting the tone and like being memorable to the movie. Like Scream One and Scream Two are often cited for how amazing those openings are. And with Scream Six, you know, uh, they obviously they wanted to do something different and subvert expectations, and they achieved that goal. They subverted expectations of there is a, it's not just a girl getting a call or or it's not just somebody getting a call and then an attack it is more than that there's you know a killer reveal and then we follow the killer home and then he gets killed it's on paper it's a really fantastic idea i just kind of found it to be lifeless and i I thought the phone call was very lackluster you know again scream is known for amazing amazing phone calls and i thought the phone call with samara was not great um and again i kind of thought she was a very thin flat character um that didn't excite me or there was nothing personable like think about how personable jenna ortega's opening in scream 5 was and how you know emotional that was and even like you know 
that Kelly Rutherford in Scream 3 for having such an equally thin character. You know, there's so much emotion that she brought to that character that is just not in like that we cared about her that we just don't that's just not here for Samara. It's very empty. It, it, but then you go to the second half, which is uh, Tony Revolori. And Tony, I just found he wasn't a good actor in terms of like that would have been a really great scene if we were more creeped out by him that he just killed somebody. I think that they play play him too much as like a a hero and not as much as the villain. And so there's not that effect that, like, oh, he just killed somebody and now he's getting attacked. Like, I think because you didn't have that like intensity of emotions on both sides, on both the Samara side and the Tony side, both of them just felt fell flat for me. I don't think it's the absolute worst opening because of the creativity of it, but it's pretty much down there. Like I, you know, uh, yeah. Well, that's how I felt too, is that the creativity of it, you know, of course we get this opening with Samara weaving and I was already kind of giggling to myself because of her work with uh, Matt and Tyler on ready or not. She gets stabbed. She lets out this guttural scream when she gets stabbed. That reminded me so much of her, um, often mimicked and, uh, kind of mean scream that she does in ready or not as well and i was like i was really digging it and then the reveal of ripping off the mask and there's tony and i'm thinking to myself whoa 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 this is new i've never seen a ghost face killer reveal in the opening what's going on here and then i was thinking are we gonna follow tony throughout the rest of this movie like what what is going on like all of a sudden possibilities just started to open up for me and then you get back to his apartment and I guess, did you guys interpret it that it was his lover? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I guess. It, it was very vague well, on that front. But like, I, I think he's supposed to be like this film bro type who, to your point, Ryan, in terms of it being like kind of cold and emotionless, I was thinking to myself, I kind of get the idea of that because of um, the dispassionate motivation behind the killings and then targeting him and uh, his lover here in the apartment. And it's like, okay, that's the real ghost face. And we don't know what his or her identity is at this point moving forward. I, I was on board with it. I, it did keep me on my toes because I didn't know exactly where it was going. And maybe that's because I, I imagine Ryan, and you kind of alluded this to me when we were talking about this over text message before I saw the movie you had kind of told me that you knew almost everything that was going to happen in this movie before you saw the movie. So yes. <laughs> I don't know how much of that influences your perception of it versus mine of watching this and truly not knowing anything. But Matt, like, can I just say if, 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 if that's only a slim piece of the pie? Cause I knew everything that was happening was that was going to happen in Scream five and four when I saw it in theaters too. So like, I just found like, the way that it was done, like there's only so much you can, mileage you can get out of shock value before you have to deliver something else to make it captivating. It's not, like, I think that, you know, they were going for, we want to subvert expectations and really shock everybody. And they achieved that. But for me, the human element and like the suspense and like the, the connection just wasn't there for me with either, with either character. And I think the phone calls could have been much better. Um, and I thought it was just weird. They opened that, that line. Um, like, what, what, what does he say? Who cares about the movies as like the knife sloshes before the title card? Weird and out of place for a screen movie. Like, I just. Yeah, I didn't really like that. Like, who gives a fuck about movies or something like that? I yes. was like, you know, as a film lover, that did ru kind of rub me the, the wrong way. So I think that the scene, I think Tony's part of it could have worked really well if they would have made him 
creepier or scarier like give me a little bit of Hannibal Lecter vibe as all this is going on I just think that the, the tone wasn't perfectly matched for that moment like I think that the emotion could have been much better both for Samara and for um, him even if it was just Samara like having a film professor die in an, a scream opening where she teaches about slashers like that is so cool but I feel like they squandered that opportunity of like getting more juice out of that so I just think the, the whole thing was lacking in juice for lack of a better term I actually really liked the phone call that Tony's character has, especially the way that we're playing it, like, oh, you're doing the voice. We said we wouldn't do a voice of each other. And the hot and cold <laughs> game that leads to the fridge and the reveal of a beheading, as we learn later, they say, oh, we have to up the ante. We have to have beheadings. We have to make it more dramatic. I really liked that. That's what worked for me in particular for the opening act. Yeah, the opening, it, it has, like, moments in it that I think are well done and I mean, I'm never going to complain about Samara Weaving being in anything like it, it. Even in a very thinly written character, I think she makes the most of it. And I was still somewhat engaged by her presence just because it's her. But I do agree that like Tony Revolori, he's not really playing, even in this very small moment, a, a character that I found to be interesting at all. And even when he's himself is put in peril, I never found myself connecting to any of those stakes um, and also, like, the whole hot and cold game with cameras in the apartment, that was just weird. <laughs> there's, which there's a lot of kind of weird stuff in the story to kind of justify things happening. But at the same time, I do think it was a good example of how they were able to at least try to build some tension. And there are better examples of it that happen later. But I found at least it was an interesting foundation to set up what they were going to do later in the story. So it was a bit of a flawed opening uh, for sure, but it had enough elements that I was intrigued by it. And then once we got past it, I found that I was then able to get more so into the other characters. And as I said, the the tension that they do establish in some of these other set pieces, I do think you can still recognize that in parts of the opening to the film. Now, I will admit that once we get past the opening and I, as someone who didn't even have a problem with the opening, I, I think like the middle section of this movie up until the third act is just dynamite the whole way through. Everything about it is fantastic to me. Um, and the reason why is because of the change in setting and the way that they utilize the setting. I've never seen Ghostface in a confined apartment building. I've never seen Ghostface run through the streets of New York and kind of just pop out of the bushes and stab somebody. I've never seen Ghostface walk into a bodega and it almost gets shot by the convenience store manager like behind the desk with a shotgun. I was just like sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, that's New York, baby. I was like, I was loving it. <laughs> well, can I, so can I add some like further context to this? Sure. So Scream 2 is kind of known as, so it's the middle, for a long time, it was just one, two, and three. That was the original trilogy. And Scream 2 is kind of known as like this bridge movie where it really focuses on character work and big, like suspenseful set pieces that Wes Craven could just direct the hell out of. Like that is what Scream 2's purpose is in like kind of the larger scheme of that original trilogy. So I think what, what Matt and Tyler were doing here was kind of mimicking that. They were given the opportunity to do have their Wes Craven moments of doing these really cool individual like set pieces that are driven by the suspense and the choreography. And I think that they nail every single one of them. But the bodega, the subway, the um, the ladder scene, yeah. all of these things that were teased in the trailer, and Gail's scene, like all these things that were teased in the trailer really delivered in spades in the actual film. And I think that 
it, it brings a lot of freshness to uh, the story, and it lets these it lets the characters breathe. And that's I think that's why everyone is coming away loving the characters so much because it's not just exposition, exposition, exposition. Even though part of that second act or the you know post opening through act three that you're talking about, Matt is I love the mask storyline of dropping the masks. One, it's an allusion to Scream 3 with dropping Maureen Prescott's photos at the crime scenes. But I love that it's encompassing this theme of franchises in the in the movie that Mindy has her speech about. So I'm so on board with this middle portion of the movie. I think it's fantastic. And if the opening and the finale were better, this would easily be above five for me. I just I, I love, love, love this um, this middle portion of the film. I agree that like Mindy's whole speech about franchises in this movie is probably my favorite scene in the entire movie because I just love hearing the explanation of the rules that they have to follow for what is now considered to them a franchise. And of course, we went through this in the last one where it was a what they call it. They called it a requel, right? Yep. Yeah. So here they're referring to it as we're we're now part of a franchise and these are the rules of a franchise. And the way that she just lays it out is so goddamn entertaining. I, I, I could listen to her be my film professor uh, instead of Samara Weaving uh, any day, all day. And not just that too, but also then this idea of continuing, you know, the story, not just from the last film, but also to having it be an extension of the first three films. You know, the last movie was called Scream, just Scream, even though it was technically Scream 5. So with this one, Titling it Scream 6 and kind of going back to that, not trying to call it Scream 2 as a way to like replace the original trilogy, but still having it be part of this generational uh, continuation of the story that was started way back in the 90s with the first Scream movie. I really like the way that they are using that to to their advantage to subvert expectations, but then also introduce new types of rules for what one must follow in order to survive a horror movie, not just repeating what they did in the first three. Right. Uh, this is going to sound like a very weird complaint for this movie. I, I grant you, but bringing up the scene when Mindy does go through all the rules of what this new franchise is going to be. Weirdly, that was actually one of my least favorite parts of the film, <laughs> to Josh. be honest. But, and, no, I get it. I get it. Go ahead, Josh. I and know the reason, and this is going to sound strange, I get it, but I think actually because this movie did such a great job with like really focusing in on these new characters and making me care about them, when it did recognize the more meta commentary, which, yes, is the thing that this franchise is most known for, it weirdly kind of pulled me out of this group. And, and it suddenly became like, oh, yeah, now we're doing the thing that we have to do in a screen movie where we then need to just explain what the meta rules are. And, yeah, it's it's a fun moment, but it did really kind of distract me from the actual like emotional core with these characters. And it was like a more a more blatant acknowledgement that, yes, we sort of have to do the things that the franchise needs to do. And I was I was kind of like, you know, this movie was actually working really well as just being a a horror movie with characters that I was invested in. And that acknowledgement, I think, was sort of the start of them recognizing that crazy things have to happen in this movie and we have to acknowledge and be aware of them. And I sort of felt like the storytelling lost some of its convictions at that point. And like I said, it is fun and it is the thing that is a staple to the franchise. I understand that. But in making such good characters, they kind of 
backfired to me on the thing that is a staple of the franchise. And I weirdly, it did not work as well for me in this movie. In terms of a case of not showing and telling instead, I had more problems with the uh, third act motivational reveals and monologuing than I did with this sequence. But I do understand where you're coming from, Josh, where it's like you kind of want the characters to kind of exist on their own and not have that meta self-awareness to it because it, it, it is a tad bit unrealistic at times. But I but I also do recognize I know and I know you do, too, that it is a staple of the franchise that they have horror movie geeks who think that they're smarter than the killer because they have an understanding of the rules of horror movies. And yet, and yet, you know, can I just <laughs> say, so I actually, I'm kind of in between the two of you. I really like what Mindy says in terms of, cause it, it, on a spiritual level, it makes sense that this movie would represent franchises now that Sydney is really out of the picture and like this expansion of everything. It makes sense that franchises is like the theme of this movie in a way. However, like the, the, the thing with me and Mindy is everyone loves Mindy. Like she is an icon. She's an openly queer character. You know, Jasmine Savoy is a superstar. She's, you know, a wonderful screen presence. Um, I kind of. I'm not as big of a man, Mindy fan as I should be. And I was weirdly never a Randy fan. I don't like goofy people in in general, but like, you know, when it comes to Mindy, I feel like in that scene in particular, I feel like she's weirdly happy and oh, like uh, uh, joyful and like too funny and too comedic. And I think that like, that was a problem for me with her in Scream 5. Like, I felt like she was very um, uh, insensitive and treated, like, the deaths of her friends very flippantly. Like, she was just like, ooh, yeah, you're the killer. Oh, maybe you're the killer. Like, I didn't love that about her in Scream 5. I think they improved upon making her a bit darker here and making her more grounded. But that scene in particular, the only the only problem I have with it is sometimes it just feels like sh- it's just tonally not consistent with where Mindy should be be as a survivor of the attacks i think it gets better after after annika dies uh and she you know experiences that loss and that fear again and getting stabbed um because i think her sub mindy subway scene is fantastic um but it's just i think that's just too a bit too comedic for me so you were just mentioning uh stabbings here for a minute and i i have to say i don't think i've ever seen so many people get stabbed in a movie before <sighs> yeah. and then survive is that is that is that just because they're embracing the truth of the matter about stabbings which is as long as no fatal organs are punctured you're 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 pretty much going to be okay if you get medical attention which is which is true you know listen i mean Chad got hit a lot i mean that that was to me like i like i was happy because i was like okay he survived but at the same time, I was like, get the fuck out of here. I'm like, that guy got stabbed like 20 times. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're talking about the finale quite yet. I feel like we're going to save that. But a lot of stuff that think about what decisions they were making. I don't like the stabbings. I think the stabbings, um, I think of all the films, this is the worst in terms of like the way that because like also the stabbings. Did you guys notice like they were so fast, like like almost like on turbocharged, like stab 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 stab. Like it, it, that's not the way that. Well, West I think did there it. was a deliberate choice in this particular film to make Ghostface more aggressive, which worked. I think that yeah. he was really scary, but the stabbings kept come off as almost unrealistic in a lot of in a lot of respects like you know even i don't sometimes it's just too much and then again like i really am not a fan of like oh tara getting stabbed in the back in the in the finale and then she's able to you know uh, you know have have a brick and be able to like fight off the killers with it. like I, I don't like that i really don't so i agree with you actually 
I mean, that was a problem with Scream 5, too. And maybe it's a radio silence thing. Maybe they are just trying to establish their own, like, version of, like, reality, like Wes did with the original trilogy and, like, the tolerance of pain. I don't know. But it's it's weird. Yeah, because it used to be that if you get stabbed even once in any of these movies, you were done. Now it's like you can get stabbed like you're 50 cent and keep on coming back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Because the, the brutal stabbing of of um, Annika, you know, where it's like I was almost wondering, like, are test is going to spell out? Like, it was very brutal and violent. And and I thought effective, though, because you really felt the violence in that moment. And She's crawling on the ladder between the buildings, which is a good way to set up tension. And I did like that set piece overall. But, yeah, it did indulge in that kind of thing again, where somebody is the victim of just this brutal violence. And then they're doing this very intense, physically intensive thing that, like, yes, it doesn't work out for her. But I wouldn't even believe she could, like, stand up, let alone actually get out on that ladder. I thought she was going to bleed out. I was I was so confident that there was no way that she was going to be able to make it through the scene that when they got to the ladder, I was like, oh, no, they're doing this to slow her down so that he can tilt the ladder over. But at the same time, I agree, Josh, I was having like trouble believing why are her guts like not spilling out onto the floor? Like he literally not only twisted the knife, but then he like slid it up like he, she should have a humongous opening in her chest <laughs> yeah like i said very brutal and effective in the moment but then when it requires us to go into a little bit more action later in the scene it just felt very unrealistic at that point which i know is weird to say for a screen movie but even still you're you want to be invested in the moment you want to be invested with the characters and what they're going through and when something kind of breaks the internal reality that much then it's a problem I really found there was a lot of tension in the stabbings. Uh, I do agree with particularly Chad's sequence. I just, I was like, there's no way he's alive. There's no way he's making it out of this. What I found really intriguing was when everyone, in, like when the trailer dropped, they were commenting, oh, Ghostface has a gun. I think they actually explained that use very well. And I think that scene in particular was really good in the, like, the like local shop. I really liked that one. Um no, I found I found the kills to be very, very intense, but once again, kind of unbelievable. Yeah, like Ghostface with the shotgun in the bodega, like you said, Ghostface pounding himself into a door to break it down. There were so many examples in this where I was like, whoa, this is like the first time in a while where I actually viewed Ghostface as a threat because... In so many of these movies, well, he's in your city. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's a good point, too, I guess. But so many times I watch screen movies and I do think to myself, Ghostface is not a superhuman individual. It's just a man or a woman in a costume with a knife. Fucking wrestle that person down to the floor, get the knife out of their hand and kill them. But this was the first time where I genuinely kind of felt like. Ah, maybe the person that's playing Ghostface is like super buff or something like and I wouldn't be able to do such a thing. You know, just I, I really I know it's a, I know it's still a human being, but they did a really good job of making Ghostface more powerful. I guess I guess you would call it more threatening and, and more intense, like overall, like, you know, the scene with Gail in particular, I found really, really good on both sides in terms of like Ghostface just being, you know, nonstop going at her in kind of a realistic um, way, how it would play up. I love the fact that how she just kind of staved him off, like kept pushing him back. And I think like that dynamic 
I think that is one of the more realistic scenes in terms of the violence, um, even though because Gail gets stabbed a lot in that scene, but it's kind of gradual. You know, she gets stabbed in the shoulder and then maybe like one other time and then in the stomach. And it's very, you know, piece by piece. But I think it's that that scene does a really nice job of making that battle, the push and pull realistic of any of the things in the film. I thought for sure of that. I was like, well, they did away with David Arquette in the last <laughs> film. Like, this is it for Courtney Cox. It's over. And then the reveal that she made it. I I was grappling with when the movie was over. Have they. Have they revealed that these characters like their plot armor is too strong at this point? And I'm going to reserve judgment until we get to the third one, which will be supposedly the final one with this new cast of characters. I don't know how far they intend to take this for now, but I will reserve judgment until then because this was like the first time in a while where I really walked away from this thinking they're kind of showing their hands a little too much here. Like, and I'm starting to think it's unbelievable. Well, and can I just add, so for more context from within the Scream community, like the big discussion over the past year has been, okay, so there are six survivors, including Sydney, but then she got swapped out for Kirby. So we have six people. Somebody has to go or multiple of them have to go. Many people wanted two of them to go to be really shocking and daring in the way that like Randy killing Randy off in Scream 2 was. And I, they they made the choice not to kill anybody and like thinking through it logically i i don't i think that they probably made the best choice to not kill any of them off but at the same time you know because I, I think that they want them all there for the ending and i don't think i think they are attached to their new characters and they couldn't they didn't want to kill off gail after the pay dispute left such a sour taste in a lot of fans mouths with sydney not being there so i think they did the best that they could but i think some I think that they have to do more in seven in terms of upping the stakes and making making us feel you know like this is a, a slasher movie you know yeah no I get it I get it yeah I just I, wish we got I just wish we got more at the end instead of just oh Gail's fine she's alive like how we get Mindy in at the end and she's like damn it I missed the monologue we don't seem to get anything it's just oh she'll she'll be in the next one i feel like gail like did not serve anything for this in terms of the plot or her character other than to just be there for the fandom well so she she was there to introduce them to the shrine and i think that it was important for her to have that big scene that people wanted her she's never had a phone call before so i think that was really important for a lot of true yeah that's that's true and like you know the thing is, so Amy, just to your point, I was, I, I kind of, I some, I was, it was revealed to me that she wasn't in the finale or the epilogue, but she survived, and I was distraught for weeks, like it just because Courtney Cox has been in every goddamn motherfucking scream finale, and I felt like for historical precedence, like I was like I was just shattered by it. I in the way that it played out with having such a epic conclusion to that that scene where she's saying oh tell sydney he never got me like i'm okay with it and the fact that they focus so much on the new characters but it was annoying to me that mindy got to be there and gail didn't i think that mindy there and first of all you were talking about realistic you you don't get stabbed in the stomach or in the or in the abdomen and then you're running down a manhattan street that's not how it works like so i think that that was too much they they were looking after the core for more than they were anything else. And I think at the end of the day, Matt, to your point, they weren't interested in making a movie about Gail Weathers, even though I think Gail should have been explored more. I know that like, you know, oh, of course, Ryan thinks Courtney Cox should have had a bigger role, which I, I'll grant you. <laughs> but, you know, Gail lost Dewey. Like that is a huge 
freaking deal. And she changed a lot in, from even five to six in terms of becoming colder. And I think that the fact that we didn't really get to know anything about her boyfriend or, you know, there, there are so many opportunities to see her at like work at her TV studio or even like, you know, um, figuring out the shrine. You know, I think that was a mistake on their part that they didn't go deeper. But, you know, at the same time, I think they they made the choices that they did to have a lean script. And I can't fault them for that. So I do think that Gail's inclusion here, it's like I agree with Ryan that it should have been more or nothing, because I feel like what we get is very superfluous, as I mentioned before, it's. The execution just feels more like fan service to me, like this is a beloved character and we need to figure out a way to get her in the story at at some point. Because really, the only thing that she really contributes to this narrative to me is that she does find the shrine. But you could have just had Kirby do that. In fact, they kind of mentioned like, Kirby, why didn't you find this? And they, they do that as a mean to kind of throw suspicion on her. But I feel like the character Gale does not add all that much to the story to me. And it just kind of was more of a tangent away from this new group of characters that I was so invested in. And yes, I do like Courtney Cox a lot. And I think that she's good in this role and always has been, but the character as utilized felt like it didn't really add anything to the overall narrative and just took away from and distracted from the stronger parts that I wish we had more focus on. Let's talk about the shrine really quick here. Felt like I stepped into Ryan C. Showers' bedroom or something when I was watching this. <laughs> I had that thought too. <laughs> Guilty. Listen, I you know I, the shrine is so cool. Um, I love that. Like you know, in Scream Five, they did a lot of Easter eggs throughout the movie, and it, that was fun and cute, whatever. But like, it wasn't like sustainable. I think this is a cooler idea even if it's far-fetched even if there are plot holes i don't care it's fine but the the thing i love more about the shrine other than just the set decoration is that it it gives the opportunity for so many characters to have quiet moments to connect that's where you get like in my opinion one of the best scenes which is gail and sam talking about um, sam's mom and dewey and you get kirby and um, tara connecting weirdest connection i never would have guessed that but then also you get kirby and mindy the two horror the two horror people getting to connect i think that's so cool so i think the shrine is just a really wonderful part of the film so many great details in that moment too and yeah i did have the thought like wow this is this feels like something that ryan <laughs> curated himself <laughs> for sure but yeah i mean just seeing all of those little bits in there i mean just on a uh, a thrill of recognizing just the franchise as a whole it's really well done and yeah the entire set decoration is great and i even liked the further exploration of the um the the mental state of of Sam and her connection with her father, which, you know, I feel like has the potential to be very, very silly because it is a typical horror trope that could get introduced and not really explored that well. But I I feel like between these two movies, they actually have done a decent job of, of acknowledging that part of her character and actually making it feel like it's a genuine arc for her and not just something that they have tacked on to still bring it back to the original movies. It feels rather natural to that character. And I do appreciate that a lot with, with her, but once again, that's the focus on these new group of characters. I think they have done such a great job with. I will say that I was not as bothered this time around by the Skeet Ulrich appearances as Billy Loomis. I I've made peace with it. I think it is a little silly, but 
you know, these movies are kind of spelling a lot of things out for us. They don't want to kind of leave it up to interpretation all that much. But I do think there is a lot to read into Sam's decision at the end of this movie. Um, And it does make me a little fearful for where they are going to potentially take her character arc in the third film. But at the same time, I do find it to be all very intriguing. And my favorite element of the third act is when it does focus on Sam and Tara, their relationship with one another, and also their individual character arcs of just completing those through this middle chapter film and then setting up where it's leading into with the third film. I think that's the stuff in the third act that works the best. Well, you know, Matt, I'm really glad that you said all of that because I actually agree with basically everything you just said. It's specifically about like, I, so I think I like the Billy stuff more than you do just because I, it, it connects with how the original trilogy was about Sydney and her mother. So this one is so clever, right? Of like how Josh was saying, connecting back to the original film, having Billy, Billy Loomis, the original killer. Um, and you still have that par- parental haunting, that, that dynamic. But I have to say, I am not a fan of Sam putting on Billy's robe at the end. I think that's so fucking unnecessary. And like Sydney did it in Scream 1 to wear it as camouflage to hide in the closet. Uh, and it made sense. It was a brilliant moment for Sydney to take off that mask and take ownership of the thing that was, you know, um, ailing her. But with he- but here, it just feels goofy in a way that she would put on the entire robe just to kill Detective Bailey, like while he was knocked out. Like it, I didn't, I didn't like it, and I, I'm worried about where it could go because I think Scream Five did a really nice job of like letting Sam, you know, embrace that part of her, uh, that Billy part of her, that murderer, you know, that, the fact that her dad is this killer. She at the end of the movie, her 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 arc in Scream Five was. Okay, this is something I can't change. It's a part of who I am, and I'm going to use it for good, and I'm going to come to peace with it. And then here, I feel like they're opening up a, a new, like the, the same wound, but like making going in the other direction of like making her like leading into her being the killer in Scream Seven or something. And I don't, I don't want to see that. I don't like it. And um, the way that Tara, I don't know if you guys caught on to it, but Tara was making weird faces at her in the finale, like especially at the at the very end. Like, okay, Sam, that's enough. Like, this is weird now. Um, that was kind of me. I'm not thrilled about that aspect uh, of the of the narrative, and I hope that's not where they go. I think it's all meant to be misdirection. I don't think that that's exactly where they are going to take it. They'll they'll tease us with it, and they're going to make us think that that's where they're going to go with it, probably, because the last two movies have all alluded to that. Uh, but. Yeah, when she initially made the decision to not kill uh, Wayne, I was like, oh, good. Yeah, you're you're better than your father. Nice. Okay, good, 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 good. Cool, cool. And then (laughs) she then turns around and says, but you fuck with my family. And then she does brutally murder him. I was like, (laughs) oh, I was like, where are we going with this? God damn it. I know like and that's the thing like I think I don't know like I I I think the thing what Scream 6 is doing with Sam is they are showing that she is having just a little bit too much fun killing these people you can see it whenever she kills Ethan at at first and she just takes the knife out of Kirby's stomach and she just goes ham on him well doesn't that also kind of tie into the opening too where they're discussing what it is about killing someone that feels so good yeah and like I think like they, it, but the thing with my problem with that moment is like, it, it, it they basically just recreate what she did to Richie, but on a lower quality level in terms of the same kind of stabbing, the same kind of approach. It just, it's weird. I didn't, I didn't love it. So, a lot of this movie feels like it is kind of just retreading on 
things they have already done, to be honest. And while it is, I think, entertaining in the moment, and overall I did have a good time with it, I think when I kind of step back and look at it from a macro perspective, it doesn't really feel like anything really progressed in terms of a in terms of the plot and the characters all that much. And even though I have said I'm invested in these characters and I do like them a lot, I do think that when you kind of get to the end of the movie, it's like, I don't think there was all that much that really happened from the beginning of this movie to the end. And it felt whatever change did occur was pretty incremental from where we left off from Scream 5. And I think that is a major deficiency in the storytelling to me. And when you also have a lackluster finale where the reveal of the killer is not that interesting either because once again it feels like yeah it's another family member coming out out for revenge and not even a meta commentary with that it's just it felt so underwhelming to just get to the end of the movie and feel like like we didn't really go through that much at the throughout this entire story and all we have are just a couple cool set pieces and characters we like but didn't really change at all i agree josh and i mean overall like i still enjoyed my time with this movie mostly because of that middle section because like you said the set pieces are awesome the kills are awesome the characters are awesome but i agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying by the time this movie was over i did ask myself where are sam and tara today versus where they were at the end of the last film and it really to me felt like they were in the exact same spot and so yeah. I, I'm in complete agreement with you on that. I think this is just, a, you know, the pitfalls of a, of a second middle film, though, uh, that some filmmakers are able to avoid and other filmmakers do fall into these traps. I think that this movie attempted to not fall into these traps by upping the ante and having these really intense set pieces, but they ended up falling into them anyway, not to mention, too. I did feel that there were maybe one too many uh, references to Scream 2 in the third act, especially, like you said, with the family reveal. And I just kept thinking of Mrs. Loomis uh, from from Scream 2. And I was just like, yeah, I feel like we're recycling old ideas, but just trying to put a new twist on them. And I really was not down for it this time around, especially, my God, especially considering just... The way that Jack Champion, who I, I already was not a, a fan of his performance in Avatar, The Way of Water, but seeing him act in that third, you know, that third act finale, and then also Dermot Mulroney and um, what's her name? Liana, Liana, Liana Lombardo. Liberato. Yeah. Um, it's like all of a sudden, it's like a, a switch just flips, and it's like they were just given the direction of, okay, don't act like you're fully fleshed human beings all of a sudden now you have to act really really frantic and crazy with all of your lines of dialogue ah yeah and it's like why why is everyone just all of a sudden acting like a fucking cartoon character well and that's a huge problem because and this is the difference between radio silence and west like i feel like the i feel like radio silence and guy and jamie haven't completely nailed a scream killer yet and i really hope that they get it with seven because wes all of wes's killers were really good like there is obviously debate to be had in people who prefer other people you know other killers over the others but like the the killers here suck like i think that these are the worst killers actually in the franchise i wasn't so keen on amber and richie i thought they were pretty average but this is even worse because 
I, first of all, Jack Champion, he's not even a character. Like, I, I there's nothing about him defi- that that defines him before the finale. Even in the finale, I forget that he's even there. Like, I think Lieta Liberato is okay um, before the finale, but then she comes off as like a cartoonish, like MTV, like Scream MTV character in the finale. And then Dermot, like, I was so excited that he was cast, but I think he gives one of the worst performances in any Scream movie ever. Like, I was so disappointed with his with his work. So it also didn't help too that I did call that he would be the killer like i i I knew it was coming because they tried to make it look like it was kirby and once they did that i was like nope it's the other guy because the level of access that ghostface had could only be accomplished if you were a police detective as he is not to mention then i was like okay jack champion is another one where it's like they're not really focusing on him as much he's never been in, in any overt danger he's clearly the other killer what i didn't see coming was i really did not see uh quinn being a part of it because i actually did fall for her death earlier in the movie yeah and once i like put it together that wayne had to be a part of it that should have you know Something should have clicked within me that should have said, oh, well, then that means that she's also a part of it. But for some reason, I thought to myself, maybe he wasn't initially a part of it. And they're going to reveal that because of her death. Now he is a part of it. And I don't know. I I really wasn't like trying to piece it together so much while it was unfolding. But I I will admit, I was a little shocked, especially considering that when they showed um, her body in uh, the apartment, all bloody and stuff. I was like, oh, well, okay, she's dead. And I didn't really think much of it after that. <laughs> well, and like, but and like going back to your point about Scream Two, like I think it was kind of a mistake to just hammer hammer home, like because like I don't see like Billy Loomis was such a magnificent force in Scream One into Scream Two. I don't think Richie is that. It has that same that mm-hmm. that, that same stature. So going and making his family just feels like so cheap. Like they're trying to reward their own like th- their own egos in a way like oh well we had a billy loomis so we're gonna make it no and it's also just unoriginal like i wish that it would have been a little bit more creative i think having the whole family there is something a little different but i'm not thrilled about it like again like this is my least favorite finale in a series where i'm obsessed with the finales and like the killers are so important to landing landing the movie and i just feel like that that's why scream six is so uneven is the, the performances and the writing of the killers. So, yeah, uh, Ryan, I think you got it a hundred percent correct as to why this finale doesn't feel as impactful. And it is because our relationship to Richie is not the same that we had to Billy in the first scream. You know, Billy was a main character throughout that whole thing. And there was so much input into investing in that relationship. And it made natural sense to continue that into scream too. But with, with um with Scream 5, that narrative is sort of split between old and new characters. And Richie, I mean, it's sort of fun to have him be revealed as, as the villain. And we all like Jack Quaid. But that character, I just don't feel like is as important to us. And so when it becomes the linchpin of the third act twist to this movie, we just don't have that same connection. And therefore, we're just not as invested in the storyline with his family. It it feels like it's just here to copy what happened in the second film without putting in any of the work to actually make us emotionally invest in this development. I did like that they had the um hot guy across the uh across the alley. Um mm-hmm. who is it? Josh uh Segarra, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh I'm, I I mean <laughs> listen, like between Dermot Mulrooney, Josh Segarra and Mason Gooding, like I mean I, I couldn't ask for like 
three hotter men for this movie. Uh, my yeah, God, I'm, I'm with you, Ryan. <laughs> all, all I'll say is that I did like that he was thrown in here as a as another piece of misdirection to make us think that oh, he's probably the killer. He's the new one of the group. No one really knows who he is. So I did like that bit, but then when the movie was over, I also was then kind of left saying to myself. He really didn't do anything in this movie. No, <laughs> like, he was at all. useless. <laughs> he was he was a red herring, but also I think it's important that you know Jenna. And, I'm sorry, um, Tara and Chad kind of have a relationship, and that Sam now has a healthy boyfriend relationship since the last one ended so tragically. And like, if you remember, Sydney's boyfriend died in Scream Two because she didn't, she couldn't save him. She didn't. She was having trouble trusting him. Um, in ter- maybe thought he was the killer. So Sydney went into Scream Three being alone, and that's why that kind of led into her big character arc in Scream Three. That I, that's literally the basis of my podcast. But like, you know, for for Sam, I think it's cool that they have this contrast. Where oh, she has a good, healthy foundation for a relationship going into the next movie. It's something um, that contrasts her from Sydney, which I like. And like, I just want to go back to a point you guys made. I think that the like the re- Sam and Tara do end in a different place here. Like, uh, you know, Scream Scream Five was about them, you know, being apart and coming back together and working out their issues and reconciling. Scream Five, um, Scream Six is about them. You know, they've reconciled, but now Sam is so overbearing; she's trying to overcompensate. And I think, you know, the growth that they go through as sisters was important for their, you know, overall journey going into whatever Seven's going to be. Of you know, Sam letting Tara, uh, trusting Tara to take care of herself, or you know, do you know what I mean? Like, I th- so I think that there was an arc and there was a change here. It wasn't as good as Scream Five, which is again, which is why I prefer Five. But I, I just think it's the same arc as really. There's never reconciliation again, and yeah, there's more trust than there was before. But I don't know. To me, it just felt like they were recycling stuff that they did in the fifth one to a certain extent. I I do think there is change and there is some growth, and I do like the exploration of those sisters trusting one another. Like I did really like that. And, but the problem, as I said before, is like there is change, but it felt so incremental. Like that's like the only bit of development I found there that was present through when we got to the end of the movie. And I don't know if that was really enough to justify everything else that felt so carbon copy from what came before. Now we were talking earlier about the return of Courtney Cox, Gail Weathers. Love it. Fantastic. Kirby Reed. Now, I would not have had a problem with Kirby Reed returning to these movies. But to make her a special agent in the FBI office, I, I know there's even lines of dialogue that say, oh, aren't you a little young to be doing this? And she's like, I'm 31 or something like that. Whatever. But she still looks like a baby to me, and I just didn't buy it. I did not buy it at all. So I like I actually the Matt so like I knew that she was part of the FBI before the film like they 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 advertised that you know I didn't like that idea on paper like I'm thinking ooh this is such a stupid way to bring her back but the way that it was done and the way that Hayden played the character it was still the same Kirby but I did feel like she fit in well kind of trying to solve this mystery of the masks and the droppings and um I really what really sold it for me was in the shrine when she talks to Mindy and then talks to Tara and then she kind of explains to Tara why she went into the FBI I I really so it overall it worked for me and I was really happy to have her back despite my initial reservations so I just feel like there's a lot of more interesting things they could have done with her character especially following the events of Scream 4 and where they could have 
potentially taken her and what they chose to do instead, I one, I had trouble believing it. And two, it didn't serve the story enough for me in a way that made her character any more interesting. Instead, it only functioned as a way to, once again, be another red herring for who the actual killer was. Yeah, my main issue wasn't that she was FBI. It was, as you said earlier, the idea that they were playing off, oh, she's actually the killer because she's been signed off the FBI for two months and she's having a mental health break. Like, I did not buy that whatsoever, especially when we get scenes earlier in which she's, like, tracking down phone calls, like, within 15 seconds. Like, I, at that point, I was like, okay, yeah, you're a killer. Like, don't try to play off the idea that she's not FBI now. Sure. Sure. I do like that they allude to, you know, her stab wound from, you know, the fourth film and that there's like kind of this bonding moment that she has because she's survived a ghost face killer encounter before in the past. And there is sort of this survivor final girl sort of bond that connects them all, uh, which I which I liked. They leaned into that a little bit here. But overall. Yeah. I preferred Courtney Cox's return in this movie more so than uh, Hayden uh, Penetieri's. I mean, same, but like, I mean, again, I'm Ryan C. Showers. I'm, you know, C- Courtney Cox is practically my aunt, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would expect nothing less from you, Ryan. I, I for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I kind of feel the opposite in terms of those two characters' inclusions, because even though I agree with a lot of the complaints about about Kirby being in the movie, they, at least the character felt like she served the story a little bit more to me. So I, I kind of felt like they were both a little, a little unneeded in the the overall grand scheme of things. But at least I could see a justification in bringing like the FBI perspective in here. And as I said, even if you had gotten rid of the Gale character, she could have still been the one to have found the shrine you could have still used the red herring misdirections on her like i could see her being justified within this narrative a lot more than gail for me okay survivor 46 is here and so is on fire the only official survivor podcast and we have a twist this season the winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Going around the room here, Amy, what was your favorite kill in the movie? Okay. Um, I kind of just I kind I do really like the opening kill, not of the kills themselves, but the opening up of the fridge. I think that fridge reveal is fantastic, and it looked really good as well. So it's not technically a kill we see on screen. Otherwise, I would say uh, Annika as well. The ladder drop. I knew it was coming, but still, gut punch. Josh. You know, what's actually sort of interesting about this question when I'm thinking about it is that in terms of like the overall kills in this movie, I actually don't feel like, at least for our heroes, not a lot of them get taken out. I, I kind of feel like after Annika, it's only the villains, right? Nobody else of our like hero troop actually dies, which was another thing that was a little disappointing for me because it felt like the stakes weren't quite fully realized at that point. But um, so because of that, I'm actually 
going to say something that's not a kill, but that scene on the subway was just, it's one of those moments where it's so like frightening because it feels so realistic and just seeing the sea of ghost face masks and you're so suspicious. And when, um, when Mindy is stabbed and like nobody is paying attention to her and that like you even see one woman off to the side who's just sleeping and nobody is paying attention like that is genuinely terrifying. So even though it didn't result in a a death, just the setup and execution of it, I thought was really, really well done. And so it just really just tapped so well into realistic fears that one would have. And, and I want to give credit to that. That's New York for you. There's danger. I'll just keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Halloween, too. So everybody's even crazier than usual. Oh, yeah. I don't go out on Halloween because there are people who walk around like in masks, like just to deliberately fuck with people. Yeah. They'll try to do jump scares or they'll walk up to you like really fast and then like pivot at the last moment. And it's just people just trying to be dicks on Halloween, essentially. But I will admit it is genuinely terrifying and here i did i did like that you know because this did take place uh, around halloween although i was also too kind of wondering how many nights are we celebrating halloween here because you're only really supposed to dress up for one night must have been like a weekend or something i don't know yeah you know yeah i was willing to go with it halloween week you know, there's much more ridiculous things that happen in the movie besides they're dressing up for Halloween too much. I, I know Ryan C. Showers celebrates Halloween for like a month, so may, maybe that's <laughs> what it is. I don't know. But in any event, I agree. The subway sequence was fantastic precisely because that's exactly what a New York City subway <laughs> would be like. Yeah. Getting <laughs> packed into those cars like already terrifying. <laughs> Ryan, how about you? Favorite kill? You know, I actually don't think the kills are fantastic in this movie. I think that uh, the, the all the kills in Scream 5 were excellent, like every single one of them. Here, I think all of them are kind of weird. I th- I like the death of Dr. Stone through the doors, but I'll kind of go, like because so few of the main characters actually died, I'll say, like, if Gail or Mindy were to die, I would have picked either of them. I think both of those scenes are A+. Plus. Um, so, because none, none of the kills really... Uh, inspired me to a great to a great extent if i'm being honest i do love the dr stone scene uh, it's actually a callback to halloween h2o uh, if you get it you get it and i'll just leave it at that <laughs> that was a good scene too i did really like that one as far as a kill that i thought was a kill that turned out not to be a kill uh mason gooding's kill was the moment where i did scream at the screen i was so invested at that point in that character all four of those characters that for any one of them to potentially get killed, I was like, don't you dare. No. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. God damn it. I was so mad. <laughs> Anybody that was sitting around me, like, I apologize. But then they reveal later that he's OK. And then I was kind of like, oh, this fucking movie. Are you kidding me? Um, but I think also, too, the reason why it worked for me was because of the relationship that they're having uh, Chad develop with Tara. And that's another thing that. I guess kind of like the way that Gale and Dewey became a thing. They're having us, you know, do the same thing again here. So I get it. Uh, but as far as like a kill that actually was a kill, I got to give it to Samara Weaving just for the way that she screams when she gets stabbed. 
I I don't know what it is, but the girl's got the best scream in the business. I'm telling you. <laughs> and so speaking of the Mason Gooding scene here, I want to give Radio Silence and Guy and Jamie a prop for the, for that the scene with Chad in particular because they showed us something we've never seen before, and it's so exciting to see two ghost face killers targeting the same person and then not only that but the here is like the the extra detail that most people would just watch and think is cool but scream fans understand like the significance of it whenever they both when they're done chad falls to the ground the ghost face killers at the same time wipe off the blood um <laughs> in in the traditional like two hands up wipe um Oh, like that was a, that was an amazing epic moment where I just kind of smiled. And there are moments throughout throughout the film where that they do give to Scream fans, like the detail, the extra detail. Like Kirby, for instance, she kind of makes a comment about Roman Bridger from Scream Three as like, "Oh, he did it by himself." The ambition, like, and as a Scream Three person and a, a Roman person, I love that. So I have to give the guys credit for doing things like that. That elevate just you know a little bit more that where it doesn't feel like a cash grab they're with like they're their approach to the story so yeah yeah where do you think this is all leading up to with the third film assuming that that would be the last film for this new group of characters you know honestly i don't know i i haven't really thought about predictions um i i hope that they keep the integrity of if they're like if there's no Sydney and if it's really just Sam and Tara and Gail and the twins, I think that Sam and Tara are going to end up in a happy place regardless. I think, you know, Sam is going to, there's going to be some arc with her overcoming Billy once and for all. Um, or she's just going to be the killer, but I don't see how that could be a happy ending. And I think with Gail, I think Gail honestly may actually die in Scream 7. I think it's going to be a big epic death and um, I, I don't know. So that's that's what I think. My prediction is Gail Weathers dies. Sam and Tara are okay. But there is a part of me that thinks that Sam, either one of two things with Sam in particular, either she's not going to make it until the end and the series does end with Tara surviving, or they pull like, um, Maybe they maybe they pull like a Frodo Baggins sort of thing where Sam is just so emotionally damaged when all of this is over, even though she survived, that she needs to go away. Not saying uh, kill herself, but like, I don't know. I, I just can't see the way that they're kind of setting her character up. I can't see it having a happy ending. I can see it having like a bittersweet ending, though. OK, yeah. what do you think, Amy? Yeah, I could definitely see that being the pathway and maybe Tara's sort of happy ending is a Chad. Yeah. I think that could be a way that they build it up. Though the minute that they have sex, though, Chad's on the chopping block. That's <laughs> yeah, the way well, this works. Yeah, they've established that. Um, but I just don't see, as of right now, how Sam can have a happy ending. I'm just struggling with that right now. Josh, what do you think? I mean, it definitely feels like they are leading up to some kind of confrontation with Sam and her connection to Billy. Like, that really does feel like it needs to come to a head. And where we will end up there, it, that seems to be the big question. It does sort of seem like there's going to be a real suspicion that she's going to, like, kind of, quote-unquote, turn evil and... I don't think she'll go full tilt with it, but I think it will result in the danger 
of like the the lives of some of her friends being put in jeopardy because of what she's dealing with. I, I have to sort of assume that after these last two movies really leading into that, that that's where they are headed. And I would hope that does mean that, yeah, we can maybe start to pick off some of these people because I do think that when you go through this whole movie and you realize that basically everybody that you cared about has made it through. Um, I, I think that by the time you get to like the third film, yeah, we need to start making different choices in that regard. But, but that's also my perspective of somebody who's not as attached to the overall characters in this series. But for me, I do kind of feel like that would feel a bit necessary once we are escalating the stakes like that. I think Mindy will die too. in scream seven. I think Chad. I think Chad and Tara will will survive and be a couple. Um, Sam will survive and come overcome something. I do think there will be a happy ending because Wes Craven kind of set that standard with the ending of Scream Three and how magnificent that is. But I do think Mindy will go and I think Gail will go and it will be bittersweet in that sense. So, okay, that's fair. All right, and then last question before I get to final thoughts here: Where does Scream Six rank for you in the Scream franchise, Josh? Um, I would probably say like in the middle, um, to be honest, like the first half of this movie, I was almost willing to say like, this is nearly as good as the first movie because I was really getting invested in it. But the second half just really let me down a lot. But I think that first half is so strong that I was, that's why I still enjoyed it overall. So yeah, probably somewhere in the middle, not as good as the first two for me. And I mean, honestly, I I actually do like Scream 4. I, I feel like that's a very unpopular opinion, but I did when I rewatched it, I liked it a lot more than I thought I, I did. So yeah, like somewhere in the middle, I, I would say. Okay. Amy? Yeah, I'm roughly in the same position as Josh. Uh, if it wasn't for a final act, this would probably be just below Scream 1 for me. It is roughly around the middle. I think I prefer 5 a little more, but I feel like I need to rewatch both of them just to get a sense of that but it is close between them all right ryan <laughs> so my ranking goes three two one five six four and i really do love all of these movies and it's hard because i feel like the first three are clustered together and then like four five and six are clustered together where their strengths and weaknesses and their quality is really in the same ballpark it's just you know when it comes down to personal tastes and weighing things over the other like i really do um I, I really do enjoy six just as much as I do four and five. So, but. Okay. I think I got this. One. Six. Whoa. You remember I really like six. But like, I thought you liked five. I, th- I thought you told me you preferred five. So I'm just, I'm just surprised. Oh, I'm confusing them. I'm sorry. Five. Yeah. See, this is why I, I, when it comes to scream rankings, like I can remember basically every single person's scream ranking who has ever been on my podcast. Like, literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So one, five, two. Ah, give four, six. Sorry, Ryan. Three. Whatever. It's okay. <laughs> I, listen, Ryan, I, have I love skin. that you love the third movie so much. I really do. But I, I can't join you on that love. I don't think it's as bad as other people say it is. But there are some very goofy things that happen in that movie that I just can't quite get on board with myself. But I love that you love it so much. Whatever. I'll just keep wearing my bulletproof vest of like, you know, <laughs> opinions. So oh, believe me, like when you already mentioned it, when Kirby mentions, you know, um, 
uh, the third, essentially the third movie being so ambitious, I had a thought of like, man, I bet Ryan really appreciated that. <laughs> oh, I did. I mean, I was, I literally like snort, laughed in the theater when that happened. I felt so affirmed. I was like, yeah. thank you, Guy and Jamie. <laughs> okay. Any final thoughts here on Scream 6? Amy, we could start off with you. Uh, firstly, I want to give a shout out to the Ready or Not costume that was on the train. I thought that was a very nice touch. I don't know if all of you saw that. Loved it. Uh, did you see the uh, Wednesday costume yes, in the I Halloween did. party scene? <laughs> yep. Fantastic. Uh, also, one aspect that we didn't talk about, I really liked the inclusion of conspiracy theories. Firstly, in terms of the culture around conspiracy theories right now, but how it played into the idea that people believe Sam Carpenter was the killer all along and the little image I think it was on Reddit and there was an image of uh, Richie and it was like hashtag innocent of like flower crowns I could totally believe people doing that nowadays so I thought that was a nice little touch to add to the narrative okay all right Josh what about you any final thoughts here I think I said pretty much everything um, about the movie that I kind of felt Uh, the only thing I will say at the end here is when Mindy and Kirby asked each other what's the best Friday the 13th movie. They were both wrong because the correct answer is part six. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ryan. Well, I agree with Kirby. It's the final chapter. But um, so, <laughs> um, no, you know, I've I've said it. I, I, I have so many encyclopedic thoughts about this stuff. So if you want um, if you are a fan of the, any of the Scream movies, please come over to my podcast. It's Scream with Ryan C. Showers. Um, it's a lot of fun. And I put a lot of um heart and into it it's like the film critic meets the fan for scream and it makes me very happy so um if you're a fan check check it out i really really love uh <laughs> when gail is on the phone with ghostface and she hangs up you just hear ghostface with the modulated voice going wait what <laughs> <laughs> well also the line so when she says um ghostface says well what, what do you bring to the table gail and she says brains and sex appeal i was like <laughs> fuck yes <Okay. laughs> uh gail uh oh my god they, they they alluded to the punch the the part where she ducks the punch but then she gets freaking decked by tara <laughs> i was loving that because uh, you know the punch moment with gail from the first film is iconic so Although I do admit the reintroduction of Gail's character and kind of making her, I don't know, a bit reductive, I think, in terms of like her character growth, as you alluded to earlier, Ryan, I, I do agree with that. I was like, what? why are we doing this? Why are we reintroducing Gail Weathers into the story this way? But the punch was fantastic. And the scene that follows it where she talks to Sam and Tara, I thought was a good uh, was was a good half introduction. So, you know, yeah. Uh, kudos to anybody out there who guessed that uh, Tony Revolori was the killer before you started watching the movie. You were technically correct. So kudos to all those people out there. I, I did like, um, is this, I don't know, Ryan, you could tell me this. Is this the first time that anyone's ever called Ghostface back on the phone and listened to the ring to figure out where he is? Nope. It was actually done in Scream 3. It's the, in the finale. where That's how Sydney kind of gets Roman at the very end. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then she stabs him. That was a big callback. Yeah. Okay, okay. Because I was thinking that that was a pretty genius move. There, there's a lot of things in these movies where I'm always constantly thinking to myself, well, why are you not doing this? Why don't you do this instead? And that was like one of those moments where I'm like, okay, yes, a character being smart for a change. Great. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Did you guys stay behind for the post credit sequence? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I did. 
again. That was great. Like Mindy, the comedy of Mindy. Like, I don't know. I'm just I want her to be darker. That's all I want. Oh, I love it. You don't like it? I do like that. I, I think it's I think it's cute. OK. <laughs> uh, Ghostface with a shotgun. I, I don't know why we have not done this sooner. Well, because, you know, this was the perfect opportunity to do it, you know, in public, you know, so that way it didn't seem like it was cheesy Ghostface bringing his own shotgun to a scene. It was it was perfectly done. And the bodega scene, just like the subway scene, terrifying Two two of the best scenes in the film. I mean, also, too, just a randomness of Ghostface just stabbing people that are getting in his way of trying to kill Tara and Sam. I, I love this idea of the ghost face killer just being on like a rampage. Although I was also wondering too, why is it taking so long for the cops to show up at at that point? Like gunshots just went off and this is New York city. There are cops all around, but that's okay. It builds tension. That's that's always one of those things where you kind of just have to, to go with it a bit, you know, there are sirens going off out my window right now, this very moment. Like this is New York city. (laughs) Yeah. Like that. I was willing to to buy into it just because I thought the scene was so well done. I was like the moment of logic that really got me was like, why didn't they call Gail like immediately when they knew that uh, that Ghostface was there? Like it was during the day when they found out that information and Ghostface does not attack until the evening. (laughs) It's like, why were they not just calling her constantly throughout the day saying, hey, you're in danger? Yeah. That felt very weird. Like, it's, and, and again, that was like the start of the story really starting to lose uh, momentum and, and, and kind of fall off <laughs> off a cliff for me. Because like, like I said, I'm willing to accept some faulty logic in a horror movie if I'm having a good time with it. But it, you do get to a point where it's like, OK, now people are not behaving even the tiniest bit realistically. And th- that was truly a moment like we saw her early in the day. This whole thing happened. Why was she not warned about this? Why do we get this phone call when she's already talking to Ghostface? Like that made absolutely zero sense to me. Well, the logic and I think this is the worst scream logic ever um, by far. And uh, in terms of just the overall movie, but also um, like they, they did like a thing where they were trying to pretend like it was like the end of the night, like going from the afternoon to the evening with that scene that didn't work. They did that in Scream 5 with Dewey's death. I just they need to stop doing that. Like it doesn't work. It looked pretty bright outside to me. I don't know. (laughs) Okay, I think I'm pretty much done here with final thoughts. So as far as a grade out of 10 goes, I really, really liked Scream 5. It gave that film a 7, I believe, maybe an 8. I don't know. I was high on it, though. You gave it an (sighs) 8. Yeah, this one I'm a little bit lower on overall. So I'm going to go with a 6. I still enjoyed it for what it was, but it really, really started to lose me in the third act just because I could not get over the absolute horrendous acting from the three killer reveals. Uh, and there were just so many moments where I also was just thinking to myself, this is, this is just getting silly. This is ridiculous. We need something that's a little bit more grounded, emotional, tied to character. Like I get this whole thing about Richie's home movie and his uh, family and stuff, but throw it that into with the shrine. I'm sure fans love it. Ryan, like you said, you liked it. Great. But I just I don't know. I really want these movies to bring it down a notch and try to find a way to make them just a tad bit more realistic. I think then we'll be able to emotionally latch on to the characters even more, not just with the fandom, but I'm talking like general audiences. And then you can make something that's really impactful. 
So six out of 10 more so for the aggressive middle section of the movie, the set pieces, the brutality. I was having a tremendous amount of fun with this movie until the end. Amy, what about you? Yeah, so I gave Scream 5 8 as well. And I was honestly sitting at an 8 or a 9 out of 10 for this film up until the final act. But that uh, brought it down to a 7 for me total. Josh? Yeah, the, uh, the first, the, the previous Scream movie, I I liked not quite as much as other people did, but I did enjoy it a good deal. And I do believe I gave that a 7. And that's also what I'm going to give this one, even though I did, I think... I don't know. It's it's Ryan brought up a really good point where I think Scream Five is like kind of consistently better, but this one the highs are higher, but the lows are lower. So I kind of feel like it ends up evening out to a movie that I still enjoyed overall, and I think I'm still going to land at a seven out of ten with this one. I didn't like it, even though I have significant problems with it. But at the end of the day, it was still entertaining. It was still a good time, and I could still recommend it. Ryan. I, you know, I'm going to abstain. I don't really have a grade. It's hard for me to, one, look at these things outside of the way that I look at it on my show. And, like, I'm just, I'm too close to it to give a a, a good objective of grade, a grade here. I can analyze the shit out of it, but I just, it's it's difficult for me. So I think just, rec- you know, where I rank it, it probably reflects more of its quality than um, anything else. So, Well, just like how Mindy shoutouts Letterboxd. In this movie, I'm going to be checking your letterbox, Ryan, and I'm going to see what star rating you gave this. I give the, I give all the films the same star rating, Matt. Do not yeah. do that. Leave, leave me alone. I'll... They're all his children, Matt. Like he they... can't like he can have a preference, maybe depending on the day, but he can't choose between them. It's a part of my fa- it's a part of the family. and I'll be watching this movie until the day I die, regardless of whether I think it's, you know, the fifth best or the first best. So there you go. I thought you were about to say I. It's a part of my faith. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, like, there are times I feel like there there are times like, the, the Patreon jokes like, in the group chat where, like, they say, like, we're at the church of RCS. <laughs> so, you know, what are you going to do? Um, but thank you, Matt, for allowing me to come back. I had a really nice time talking to, to you guys. And, um, yeah, this has been a nice w- warm up for my show. Jesus Christ. Ryan, you've seen this movie four times already? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Whatever. Don't. Oh my god. I didn't even like all that much. (laughs) Get off Letterbox, Matt. My God. Ten out of ten for those that are wondering. By the way. No. Okay. I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) That's a that's a good segue because there is no Oscar potential for this movie as we usually would discuss in this section. But Ryan, thank you so much for being here. Tell all of our listeners right now where they can find you on the internet because maybe since the last time that they followed you on the internet. They may not know that your Twitter handle has changed. It is Scream with RCS. That is my Twitter handle. You can find me basically everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, all Scream with RCS. Um, if Again, if you like Scream at all or like you, you know, uh, just come and listen. Like it's it's a really fun show. It's unique. And honestly, it's such a like a different world of the Oscar from the Oscar world. So it's kind of refreshing. So, you know, uh, maybe may worth your maybe worth your effort. So thank you. How much would you lose your collective mind if there was like an original song or something that found its way in the Oscar conversation one day, Ryan, from one of these movies? It would be very nice, you know, but, you know, Courtney Cox, I would have given her and I would have given her an Oscar for Scream 5. Um, She would be a a more worthy winner tomorrow than um, whoever is going to win for Best Supporting Actress. So whatever. What are you going to do? So. (laughs) 
All right. Amy, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Films with Amy. Josh Parm. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Scream 6 here on the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For a $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. You know what would have been great? If I did like the voice modulation thing for the outro. That would be so cool. <laughs> Who gives a fuck about movies? <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a fuck about the Oscars? I'm joking. Uh, I'm happy to be here the day before the Oscars. So um, thank you. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.